Yo, on the cusp in my house. That's right. It's Christmas Eve. Well, actually, it's Christmas morning, 12.30 a.m. I'm on the cusp of Christmas with the family. The kids are in bed. Everybody's in bed. And I'm in this room. I should go to the car, but it's kind of cold out there. And I was like, you know what? I could just break the brand. Like, it doesn't matter. So here I am, on the cusp of Christmas morning, in my office, which my office is a tiny little, what used to be an old bedroom. Our house is probably 120 years old, so I'm in this old little bedroom. I'm surrounded by, well, it looks like a songwriter lives here, so it's 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 kind of messy. I'm not going to take a picture, tell you that much. I've got guitars and clothes and guitar picks and all kinds of stuff laying around here. It's not a, it's not too messy, but it, it's it definitely looks like I work late and come in late at night and throw stuff down. So um I debated doing a podcast tonight, but I'm kinda on a roll. I'm back on a weekly schedule. I got off there for a few weeks and I, I didn't really think it would matter if I got on there and left any on the cusp episodes and uh, a buddy of mine he kind of got on to me in, in a nice way. He was like, man, we missed the pod. Like, what's going on? No episodes lately. And uh, it was very nice of him. Andrew Kirkland, thank you for the encouragement. And uh, y'all check out his podcast. It's called Humble Highs. Andrew Kirkland, my buddy, talks about going from a kingpin drug dealer to a believer in Christ back in the kingdom of God, rocking and rolling. Um, this guy, he's in ministry here in Gallatin, Tennessee. He's a hard worker, and he's got a great story and a great testimony. So check out Andrew Kirkland on Humble Highs podcast. That's Spotify and Apple. want to make sure I give him a shout-out and a plug. Um, two other folks that have been supporters of this show. There's not many. I mean, I don't really I – don't, I don't promote it because it feels weird to promote my own – blabbing about myself and my own stories and life and stuff so i feel strange doing it but if i have a guest i will promote the show um so far only one guest it's really hard to book guests for this show i'll tell you um people don't answer the phone not for on the cusp not yet but they're gonna regret it one day Uh, so another shout out to landon hops who's been listening from the beginning landon lives in indiana and I drove him and his wife on a golf cart over three years ago. And we had a great time riding around Nashville. It was right in the middle of COVID, actually. It was kind of freaky because everything was closed. But we rode around and enjoyed Nashville, and we've been friends ever since. So shout out to Landon and Megan Hops and, and their beautiful family up there in Indiana. And also my songwriting friend, Derek James really awesome songwriter here in Nashville, singer, uh, guitar player, the whole deal. Um, he's an up-and-coming artist, and I'm just a big fan of his, man. I tell you what, ever since I met him, also related to golf cart tours, I trained him on his first day at Joyride Tours several years ago, and uh, he he finally went and learned how to do it the right way after he, he rode with me. But Derek is awesome, and uh, I learned that he was a great rider, we started playing together on the cart. Like we would do tours together and take groups into this place called Bobby's Idol Hour. It's a bar on Music Row 
and we would take folks in there just for a break from the golf cart. And we really wouldn't tell them that we're songwriters. We just take them in, and you know maybe they could get a drink or some you know tater chips or something, Coca Cola, whatever. And then there's a guitar there, so sometimes it would just happen that we'd end up playing it and swapping guitars and singing a few different songs for our groups. And from there, that's led to doing some gigs together. And I'm, I'm watching Derek just just really take off with his writing and the the content he's putting out. So I'm really proud of him. The shows he's playing, he's doing great. So thanks for tuning in, Derek. All right, well, there's my shout-outs to some listeners. Um, as far as I know, there's only three, those guys. Oh, I'm just kidding. There, there's supposedly more than that. I don't know who these people are, though. I can't believe people are tuning into this thing um so i and by the way when i say that i want you to know i'm not playing humble like i'm not trying to just act like oh it's all shucks and try to like not put any work into it here's the deal i didn't start this to get listeners as much as i started it as a challenge for my friend to find ways to sort of catalog these stories from road life, musician life, tour guide life, and just put it down. And I thought the main reason for me was for my children. One day, maybe they'll listen to these. I would do anything if my parents had done this years ago. So here we are on the cusp of Christmas. And I wanted to get on here and just throw out, um, oh, dang, first of all, I got to tell you, before I get to the point, I played a gig last night downtown Nashville and I got home and I had a a Christmas music gig this morning, church gig is what we call them. And um, I thought I was kind of done playing church gigs, but because I love Christmas music, I took the opportunity to do it. Now, when I say I'm not done playing church gigs, I'm done leading worship as something on my resume like oh yeah we lead worship oh we can do that for you every week i'm i'm done with that until unless god tells me something different um we sort of let go of that and we're we've been happy to do so but the opportunity came up to play christmas music at the candlelight vigil at a, a church in gallatin tennessee with a lot of our friends that go there and so we took that opportunity, and it was really cool to go back and, and do that, especially those songs. I love those songs. But I had to be there at 6.15. So I get out of Nashville at 12, 12.30. I get home like after 1. I live about 45 minutes north. So by the time I shower and I'm winding down, and I'm usually up till 3 every day. I just can't help it. And, oh, my gosh, I'm laying in bed. It's 3.30. It's going on four. There's no way I'm going to get up at five or like go to bed and go to sleep. So I just got up. So I pulled an all-nighter. And I went down to Hardy's and I waited in the parking lot down there for them to open and got some biscuits for myself and the band. And and uh, we ended up rehearsing and doing church and coming back. And I guess I took about a 30-minute nap. But that's what I'm running on. And I'm wide awake. I feel like a weirdo. But I'm not on drugs, I promise. If anything, I want to be on NyQuil. I think I'm going to try that tonight, actually. Only for my kids to wake me up in a few hours to open up gifts. So, one thing that every time Christmas comes around, 
and I titled this episode Boundaries for Christmas. I think back on all the years that I jumped around and tried to visit everybody for Christmas, all my family members, and I could go on and on about the stories and the times that I did things because I just felt guilty. I felt like I needed to. I felt obligated, and I sort of beat myself up. And there was there was a time I remember we'd go to North Carolina, where I'm from, and we would we would go alternate every year. So we'd stay. My wife and I would stay here in Tennessee one Christmas, and then the next year go to North Carolina, and then we'd do the same for Thanksgiving. Swap those out. So. Every time we'd go during the holidays, we'd stay at least four days, maybe five. And we would spend the night in four different houses for four straight nights. And the reason we did this was because I thought it made sense. We're going to visit my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side. And then we're going to visit my mom and stepdad. And then we're going to visit my dad and stepmom. And then we're going to visit the other grandparents. So I had these four days broken up where each each household would get us for the day and we'd spend the night. So this was before we had kids and we would just, it was like, just this is what we're going to do. And I never thought about whether or not I wanted to do it. To me, I just thought this is the best way to make them all happy because they all like it when I spend the night. They all like it when we visit them and give them an entire day. And in some ways, they feel a bit robbed that they only got a day when we're there for four days. But to me, I always thought, well, you know, there's other people, so I got to go see other people too. And everybody kind of understands that. But still, people are bummed out and sad. So another problem that would come up, and especially when we had kids, because we kept trying to do this, and... Think about like staying in four different houses. One house is 62 degrees at night. The bed's totally different. The pillows are totally different. The blanket situation, totally different. You go to the next house the next night, 78 degrees in the bedroom. Totally different bed situation. Air mattress, maybe couch, whatever. Um, And just like every night's a different bed, different pillows, different temperature. All right. I mean, I travel for a living, so you would think, well, that shouldn't be a big deal to me, but if you're staying in hotels or in a camper or on a bus, there is some consistency, and you're in control a bit of your your bed, at least, you know what I mean, your little space. Um, if you're surfing couches, that's what this is like, and so it really sucked, and I didn't like that part, but that just was what it was, so now think about the other thing, food. I have, all my family wants to feed me and they want to cook. So they cook, I mean, like crazy when I show up. Well, we're going to cook here. Well, what time this or what time that? You want to make, why don't we do this at this time? And so you eat a huge breakfast at one house and you leave that house and you show up and the other house has prepared a huge lunch and then they got a big supper planned. And then you just do this. And it's like, I can't eat this much food. I don't want this food. And none of them understand because they are like, well, no, I mean, you like spaghetti, don't you? Or you like lasagna or 
whatever. And I'm just like, no, I don't want shepherd's pie. I don't want any of this stuff. So what I wanted to do, I'm on vacation. I want to just leave one place and hit Bojangles on my way to the next place. And that way we have a moment in between to catch our breath. And I started to realize that a big part of my personality was I needed to refuel away from people to be of any good for anybody. Like, you know, for my wife, my kids, anybody. I needed some time alone. And I didn't know this about myself until I know the first time I noticed it. I was 20 years old. I had moved to Florida and I was working an overnight shift down at the Holy Land theme park there just out, just right in the middle of Orlando, actually. Um, it's no longer there. But at that time, it was my first Christmas away from home. And I, I was leading up to it. I remember being stressed that, man, I'm this is awful. I'm not going home for Christmas. But suddenly I found myself that night by myself watching movies, playing my guitar, doing a pass through the park every now and then, just walking and talking with the Lord and dreaming. And I realized this was the best Christmas I'd ever had. And I felt guilty to think that. And I also knew that if my family back home knew that I thought that, they would be sad. Some of them would be offended. Like, what do you mean, best Christmas you ever had? Like, we, what do you, I mean, you had great Christmas. You loved Christmas your whole childhood. Well, for sure. I loved going to my aunts and uncles and getting gifts. I mean, who wouldn't love that? So, about my childhood Christmases, my mom's side of the family, they're all from Pennsylvania and they're Yankees. They're just, they're loud. They're kind of obnoxious. They're sarcastic. They're funny in a whole different way. Um, they all interrupt each other. They, they're also, they moved to North Carolina in the 1960s. These people did. And when they did, now, of course, I wasn't born until the 80s. So they'd been around for a while at that point in the triad, North Carolina area. Triad is Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point. It's like a triangle there. So that's where they lived. And most of the the family started churches or became pastors of churches, and they were all the same um, belief system. They were independent, fundamental Baptist churches, God-fearing, King James, Bible-believing, fundamental. You know, they were all into that. And so all the women wore skirts past their knees, and the men... You know, they often dressed in a suit and tie or without the tie. Like, they'd sometimes just have, like, a, a, a collared shirt and dress pants on the holidays. They dressed like the 50s. It was so weird. So, like, in the 90s, that was normal for me to be around these people who never cussed. Um, they didn't, they, they were very aware of, if anything was worldly, they were like, that's super worldly. We don't endorse that. Um, so... They were set apart in every way. So if, if if you were playing like any current rock and roll or pop or country music in a bedroom, like they would frown upon that. Um, now they loved oldies. They loved 50s and 60s music, which I always thought was hilarious. Like that was okay. We could listen to um, Elvis and the Turtles and even maybe, well, the Stones might have been a little too wild for them. But 
you see what I'm saying? Like, there was inconsistencies. But for the most part, these were fun people, and but they didn't say crap, darn, dang, nothing, all right? And uh, they you know, they might say fiddlesticks or fooey. That, that's the way they were. So it was like being in one culture, and then the next, like the day before, on Christmas Eve, I spent the entire day at my daddy's. Now, this is when I was growing up. And he, they're all sharecroppers from the South. That's where they come from. So they've been in North Carolina and Southern Virginia since they got off the boat in the 1700s. So these people, there's a lot of Indian, you know, Native American, you know, in the, in the mix here. So, and I don't mean like we're hanging out with Cherokee people. I mean, these are rednecks whose grandpa or grandma was a Cherokee Indian. That's what I mean. That's the only... um different thing from Southern that's mixed in with this bunch. And they're way more laid back. Their sense of humor is totally different. Um, they're, they're more crude with their humor. Um, you know, there might be somebody farting or burping or, you know, there's redneck humor, a lot of redneck humor and a lot of that. They would kind of verge, uh, go like towards irreverence sometimes against what my other family would be like. That's blasphemy, and they'd be like real dramatic about it. This side of the family, they would make jokes about things that were maybe things you couldn't say at the other side. So I figured out going back and forth, it was like two different countries, and I figured out as a kid, like I'm gonna spend every other weekend with my dad. There's a different set of rules. It's a different way of thinking over here. Um, perfect example, uh, my daddy was an early riser, and he believed in things like never be late. So you get up early and you never be late. So we were always early, always on time to church with my dad. Um, we got up, whatever, you know, not every mor- not every time. But we would get up if we had to go hunting or if we had to go, if we had plans, man, we'd get up early. When he told us one time, we better get up one time. That's all it took. Now, my mama, she was more creative. She's a more creative person. Um, She's kind of like somebody who's thinking about ideas and she's a homeschool mom. And so she wasn't very strict on what time to get up. And if she said get up, we usually knew by the third or fourth time, then we needed to listen. But the first one never meant actually get up. And we also knew that we would never really be on time to anything with her. And I don't think it's because she didn't want to be on time. It's just because it wasn't that important to her. It didn't make sense to her why she should go through all the effort to try to be early to something like church unless she had to. You know, and even then it was like, oh, that's just pressure. Why do I put myself under that kind of pressure? Um, and I don't even think she thought that much about it. Um, she was more of a... So here's another difference between my mom and dad. To this day, if a tornado is coming anywhere within 100 miles of me or within 300 miles of me, my daddy will text me, watch the sky. Now, he's aware of tornadoes in Alabama and I'm in Tennessee and I don't know, I don't even really care. 
okay? Because I'm I'm not letting it change my day. And if there's one out my car window, I might consider adapting my day at that point. My mama, so she would have no idea if a tornado hit my house unless I told her. She doesn't watch the news. She doesn't. She wouldn't know. She'd just be like, she called. I remember the tornadoes come through here just a few weeks ago in Gallatin, Portland, Tennessee, that area, um, Hendersonville, especially Hendersonville and Gallatin. And, you know, my dad's like texting me and you know, checking in and stuff. And my mom is like calling about other things. And I've got a gig. So I really can't talk to any of them. And I'm somewhat irritated sometimes because it's like I have a I have a phone, so I get all the messages. I know when a tornado's coming. Um, my dad's just trying to help. But my mom, it doesn't matter to me that she doesn't know. It's just funny to me that she has no idea. Um, we're like picking up the pieces of our lives that she would not know unless I told her. So two different cultures, two different, totally different personalities raised me. And when they divorced, it was like, Man, it was like a Grand Canyon between the two. I mean, even before they divorced, I just don't remember much about it before. But so when I go to these different family get-togethers, I just got used to sort of adapting and being flexible. And even, I want to say adapting my personality in a lot of ways. Like, I told way different jokes over here than I would over here. But I still told jokes like that was the common thread. I just read my audience. So that tells you a little bit about kind of how I developed being a tour guide for people. One golf cart tour, they're from Canada. The next golf cart tour, they're from Alabama. And just, it's it, that's what it reminds me of, honestly. I feel like my life prepared me for my work. Playing in a bar, figuring out, oh, these people like that, you know, whatever. Adapting the show, being flexible. So I think that became one of my strengths because of the people I come from. Now, what happened was I got so flexible on these holidays that I just totally didn't even consider myself and what I wanted. And when I did, I found myself getting mad. I was getting mad every Christmas or every Thanksgiving, and I couldn't identify why I was mad, but I knew I was mad at my circumstances. Why am I in this another house or loading the car again, carrying everything in, carrying it all out. And by the end of the trip, we'd be exhausted, sick, tired, and people around us are getting sick. We're getting sick. And then um, one time my son, he was a baby and he got sick on Christmas Eve going into Christmas morning. And we just said, screw it. And we drove back to Tennessee. And my family was so mad at me and I felt terrible, but I was also mad that they were mad. And I'm like, why, why are you mad? And like, it was all this chaos and tension and these phone conversations that were uncomfortable. And it was like, why can't we just make decisions that are based on common sense and not based on obligation, guilt? And I started thinking about boundaries. A buddy of mine gave me this book. And that's why I titled this podcast, Boundaries for Christmas. Or as Elvis would say, Christmas. Down in Memphis, Christmas. Reading this book, Boundaries, by Henry Cloud, changed my life. There, I'll tell you, sometime on the next pod, may, I don't know, maybe not the next one, but one of these, I'll tell you to what lengths I went. The dumbest thing, the thousands of dollars 
I spent just to try, uh, well, I'll just say because I didn't have boundaries and I didn't understand them. And just things I've done that were so stupid looking back on it now. And so I'll, I'll save that one. I'll bookmark that story and save it for later. But what I learned in Scripture, when, when the Bible talks about the Lord loves a cheerful giver, you can't be considered a cheerful giver if you're giving of yourself, you're giving of your time, and you're just resenting it, and you're just irritated. Or there's this group of people, too. They don't think they resent it. They have no idea that they actually do resent it, which I was in that group for a while. I didn't know that I resented it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was the right thing to do. So there you go. I thought out of a sense of obligation, a sense of duty, this is why I do this. And yet I was developing all this resentment and frustration because I wasn't in control of my life and my decisions. I was handing those over to other people's emotions and other people's desires. And none of it's their fault. It was all my fault. And that's the beautiful thing about learning about healthy boundaries and how to apply them. And the real purpose of this is to teach me, anyway, how to be a cheerful giver. Because the Lord wants us to give. I mean, there's nothing better than giving. I can't wait for a few hours from now when my kids wake up and they open their gifts that my wife and I wrapped, or she wrapped them, but I worked hard and the money that we made, she worked hard too. I feel like I'm like trying not to be sexist here. She's worked hard, okay? She's a stay-at-home mom. She's working hard. I can't wait to give them these gifts. And, you know, God loves that. He loves when we give. And, uh, you know, I want to, not just on Christmas, obviously, when we just have a giving spirit about us. And sometimes I find myself getting, holding my hands tight and clutching things and going, you know what? No, I ain't going to do that. And I, I find myself getting mad. And I realize I wouldn't be mad if I just had a healthy no in me, the word no. If I just said, no, I don't think we're going to do that. And I started doing that. I decided, no, we're not going to go to North Carolina for Christmas. And you know what? I don't know if anybody's mad at me. I don't think they are. I ain't worried about it. It's been amazing not having to stress out and try to knock off this list. And I've even said before, no, nah, we're just going to stay in a hotel. And sometimes people are kind of offended or they think we're crazy, but maybe they don't. I don't really know. Now, it's not that I don't care. It's just not on my radar. It's not my problem. And yes, I could say I don't care, but really that sounds cold, but it's true. It's not mine to care about if somebody's butt hurt because I decide to stay in a hotel. So what? Like we're sleeping. I want to sleep where I can get sleep. If if somebody's mad at me for that, they don't really they don't have my interest in their heart anyway. Um, you know, I'm not hurting them by doing that, but if if someone was to accuse me of hurting them, well, this hurts me that you would do this. Well, that's not my problem because I'm not really hurting you. That's 
that person allowing my decisions to hurt their emotions. And that, that means they have a boundary issue. And so to me, boundaries changed my life. Um, so that's what this, that's what I want to do. I want to give you boundaries for Christmas. If you don't, and I, here's the thing I got, I, I question, I don't even believe in the premise of what I just said. I can't give anybody boundaries. You inherently have them. And just because I've been, you know, kind of stumbled upon, I I don't think I stumbled upon this. Just because I learned this doesn't mean I do it right. I was getting all stressed out just a few weeks ago. And a friend of mine, he might be listening, he called me out. He said, dude, you are being considerate of all these different factors way more than you're being considerate of yourself and your own family and what's best for y'all. And he said, you're not being selfish to put your self-interest in, you know, in focus here and what makes the most sense for you and your family. And, and that was just a reminder. Hey, I don't have this down. I don't have this figured out. I'm emotional. I get caught up in assuming people might be upset at me if I do something. Maybe they will. But it goes back to that boundaries thing. Hey, that ain't my problem. I can't control that. What is my within my control is what I can give and what the Lord has given me to share with others. And he will reveal that to me if I get rid of the resentment and the anger. And it's my job to not allow myself to get to that point. So that's my Christmas message. I'm preaching to myself here. If you struggle with this, well, we're in the same group because I do too. But I'm, I'm just excited that this year I'm in my own house under my own roof. And I'm excited that I think a lot of years ahead, this is where I'm going to be unless God has something different. And I'm always open to whatever that might be. Y'all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Mm-hmm.